There are some topics out there right now that are very controversial. There are topics that uh, people are very passionate about. And just the mention of your opinion about a subject can cause a screaming match. We live right now in the age of outrage. It's hard to be in the middle of any conversation. People want you always to be on one side or the other. We have very little patience for each other, and we like to talk far more than we like to listen. Homosexuality, abortion, racial injustice, there is no doubt that God cares about these subjects, and the Bible addresses them pointedly. But when we talk to people, sometimes we don't realize as we're operating under totally different views of the world. And sometimes it's hard for us to step back and see the big picture. See, we can debate the finer points about the Bible, but first we have to see if we're even on the same page about the Bible as a whole. I'm going to lay down some truth right now that is really going to bake your noodle. You ready? The Bible is old. Right? That just changed your life. The Bible is old. It's been around a long time. The Bible's not just 66 different stories, different books. It's one story. And the first person that we meet in the Bible is God. This is what Kevin DeYoung said. He says, God is self-existent, independent, without beginning or end, without equal. The creator God distincts from his creation, a holy, unrivaled God. Eternal, infinite, and in his essence, unlike anything or anyone that has ever was, is, or will be. This is the God we first meet in the very first book, in the first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God. He created all things, the heavens, the earth, the universe. He made man and women separate. Uh, from the rest of creation, the crown of his creation, made in his image. And then sin slithers into their lives and caused them to doubt God's goodness and disobey God's word. And when sin entered the world, it was not just a fall, it was a curse. The man, the woman, the serpent, the ground, all felt the sting of sin's curse. So that not the way things are supposed to be became the way things are. Heaven no longer dwelled on earth, at least not until much later. And a major theme was established there. The whole Bible is the story of a holy God setting in motion a plan to dwell with unholy people. Then we see the people of Israel struggling to get to the promised land which was a way for them to reclaim what they had in Eden, a new paradise, a new heaven and earth, a land of milk and honey. And eventually, Israel went into that promised land and got a piece of the garden back. But they failed again to obey and were expelled once again. And we see the tabernacle and the temple as a way to reclaim Eden, heaven on earth, once again, God made a way uh, for his people that he could walk with them. God chased after them and made a way to dwell with them. But they took advantage of his mercy and forgiveness. And they disobeyed and the temple 
was destroyed. Finally, God took on flesh and dwelled among us. And his plan was to form a new kingdom and to make us temples. See, Jesus is better than Moses and Joshua and any other leader. And today on Palm Sunday, we celebrate when Jerusalem realized, if only for a moment, who he was, this greatest leader. But it didn't last long. And eventually he died when we deserve to die. And this time he would take our, uh, our punishment that we deserved, the punishment that we deserved for our disobedience. But then Jesus put a period at the end of the sentence. It is finished. Once and for all, God settled the debt that we owed him. He reconciled us to him. He redeemed us. He made us new. And one day in the future, he will do the same with the rest of creation. There will be no sin, no violence, no guilt, no pain, no perversion, no sorrow, no death. Nothing to get between us and a holy God. The way things were in the beginning will finally be the way things are forever and ever. And that's the overarching story of the Bible. A holy God with a plan to dwell with unholy people. So in order to have any conversation about the finer points about what's right and what's wrong, we have to be able to agree on that, that overarching theme that God is good. God is the maker of all. God is in control. God can be trusted. And when God's word is clear on a subject, that that is enough for me. Are we willing to trust God even when it makes us uncomfortable? Are we willing to say, well, God, that isn't the way that I would do it, but you're God, and that's enough? This is where every conversation with someone about differences in opinion needs to start. If you're not willing to say, God said it, and that's enough, then how are we even supposed to be speaking the same language? Now, we need to be extremely careful when we say God said it, or the Bible says I've heard plenty of people say the Bible says about all kinds of things that are not true or are taken out of context. I had a man in a church tell me once that the Bible says that God, uh, cleanliness is next to godliness. It does not say that at all. Now that might be a fine saying, but we cannot misrepresent the Bible. Are the things clearly stated in God's word enough for you or would you rather find some way to uh, have an argument that circumvents that part of the Bible that you don't like? 1 Peter 1.25 says, The word of the Lord remains forever. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We need to have respect for God's word. And we need to handle it with respect. Kevin DeYoung says there are three different ways you can look at God's word when you're searching for answers on hard conversations or hard situations. And maybe you've been there before where you've had someone ask you a question and you're like, I don't know the answer to that. I'm not sure what the Bible says. How can I, uh, how can I find the answer? Well, there's three ways that you can go into a search like that when you're looking for that hard 
uh, answer that hard question. First, you can go into a search convinced. You can start with the conclusion already decided. But this is not ideal because you already have your answer and now you're just looking for proof. There have been many people wrongfully accused and imprisoned uh, by an investigator believing that they know who committed a crime and then looked for the proof afterwards. And we need to make sure that we're not doing that with answers in the Bible where we start off with this. Well, the Bible couldn't possibly say that. That doesn't seem right to me. You can't start with a conclusion in mind. You can't start convinced you already know the answer. When we're looking for these hard questions... You can start it convinced or you can start it contentious. Some people search things out in Scripture just for more ammunition to fight people with. There's many people out there that love to fight, especially on the Internet. And it's less really about what's right and wrong and more about winning an argument. And the Bible does call itself a two-edged sword. But you need to make sure that you're wielding it in God's name and not your own name. Lastly, you can go into a search confused. Now, this may not sound like the best option, but it is. When you're looking for answers in God's word, it's better to say, God, I don't know. God, I don't decide. God, I don't have any motives except I'd like to know what is right, no matter how uncomfortable it makes me. I'm confused. I just want to know the truth. And if you dive into God's word, searching for clarity, I believe that God will answer that question for you. God has always done that for me. Now, there have been times where it's been scary. I grew up in church my whole entire life. And normally what that means is you got a lot of baggage about things that people told you the Bible said, and it actually doesn't say. It's scary. And it can shake you to your core when you realize that some of the things you thought were okay in God's eyes are not okay. But even more often what has happened to me is that things I thought the Bible said, it actually didn't. I grew up in a a church that at times twisted scripture to make the Bible prove what they wanted it to prove. For example, they used one verse about the priest wearing an undergarment called breeches to prove that women shouldn't wear breeches. Or the words pants for us northerners. Clearly, that's not what the Bible says. They took a verse and they twisted it. And this is not a new problem. 2 Peter uh, 3.15 says, Our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. And he does, as he does in all his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters. Here it is. It says, There are some things in them that are hard to understand which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. People twisted God, uh, excuse me, people twisted Paul's words while he was still alive, and they twist them today as well. If you've been around church before uh, and for a long time, you've probably heard the word Berean. Uh, People often use that word for a name of a church or some group. But what does that word mean? Well, the Bereans were residents of a city uh, called Berea in Macedonia during the early church. And Paul and Silas preached to them during their second missionary journey. In Acts 17.10, 
It says the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. And now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. And they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scripture daily to see if these things were so. And many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. When Paul and Silas uh, came and told these people, the Bereans, about Jesus and his resurrection, they searched the Old Testament to see if what they were saying lined up with Scripture. And the, the Bereans didn't just accept this new and exciting news. They didn't just automatically jump on the boat. They wanted to know that it was from God. And many women and men believed. And those Bereans that accepted Christ have long been a positive example of how a person or community should respond to biblical teaching. We are called to eagerly learn from God's word, no matter uh, who the teacher is, to investigate new teaching in comparison with the Bible. It is our responsibility to make sure when someone says something before we believe it, to know that the Bible says that. And the practice of the ancient Bereans is a model for all those who desire to grow spiritually today. I've heard many people over the years say, well, I'm just not growing spiritually at my church. Well, I, I, you know, the church is part of your spiritual growth, but you ought to be growing spiritually on your own. You ought to be maturing to the point where you're not needing to be bottle-fed the Scripture anymore, but you're finding it on your own, and you're eating the meat of the Word. And these Bereans saw Scripture as something that deserved our attention. And they didn't make up their mind before they searched the Scripture to make sure that it was true. They also didn't just use Scripture to fight any belief that was different than theirs, like the Pharisees did. There was something new that was going on and the Pharisees didn't like it. So they tried to use scripture and they tried to fight it with uh, tradition. But the Bereans, they sincerely went into a study looking for what the Bible said. And they said, I don't know, but I know where I can find the answers. We need to make sure we remember that we never graduate from studying God's word. Searching it for answers. You never get to the point where you're like, okay, I am done. I don't need to search God's word anymore. You may have been a Christian for 50 years and you may have forgotten more than I've ever known about the Bible. But really what that means is you've forgotten a lot about the Bible. We need to be constantly searching and researching the scriptures with an open heart and an open mind, comparing one verse with another verse, always looking for the balance. Not relying on just what some preacher told you a long time ago. Not relying on just what it's easier to believe culturally right now. Not just trying to get the Bible to say what you want it to say. But truly letting the Bible speak for itself, even when you don't necessarily love the answers. We also need to make sure that when we listen and read after people, that they hold that same high view of Scripture. 
I went and visited with one of our life groups last week, and I was very excited to see them going through, verse by verse, through the Bible on the life of Peter. And you could tell that they held the Bible in very high esteem and just wanted to let it speak for itself. Kevin DeYoung says this. He says, on any subject, in any direction, we must be careful not to twist the word to suit our whims and wishes. As painful as it can be, we must reinterpret our experiences through the word of God rather than let our experience dictate what the Bible can and cannot mean. In Bible college, they taught me two things, and that's it. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, <laughs> first, there's two things they nailed down into my heart. One, the Bible is our sole authority for faith and practice. Doesn't matter what Pastor Phil says if it doesn't line up with God's word. God's word is the only way that we can tell if something is true or not. Secondly, they taught me this. Experience is not the test of doctrine. Experience is not the test of doctrine. Too many cults and charlatans have bamboozled people by playing on their experiences. And I love you, but just because you say that God told you something, that doesn't mean very much to me. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to change my life based on what God told you. Now, when God speaks to my heart, that's something that I can put my faith in. I once asked a teenage girl about her salvation experience, and she began to tell me about how one night she was sitting uh, next to a table that had a glass of water on it, and it immediately froze. And she told me that was when she believed on a God once and for all. I've heard many sensational and spooky stories before that have supposedly changed people's lives. But you know what's changed my life? It's the fact that Jesus died in my place. He rose again on the third day, all because he loves me and wanted to pay my debt so that we could once again walk with God and bring glory to him. That's the story that I care about. That's the story that I can put my faith in. Not the fact that you saw uh, Jesus' face in a waffle that you made that morning. That's not what I'm going to put my faith in. Not the fact that you saw a 300-foot Jesus and he told you to do this and he told you to do that. No, the Bible is our sole authority for faith and practice. And my experience is not the test of doctrine. God's word is all that we can trust. And there is no greater story than the story of Jesus and what he has done for us. So before we start an argument with people, let's ask ourselves that question. Are we even speaking the same language? Do we even have the same worldview? If not, instead of that argument that you were going to start, why not give them the gospel? Because until you can agree on the big picture, you cannot agree on the finer points. See, I see many people arguing uh, uh, politics and, and pushing all those different things out with people that aren't even on the same page. What we need to ask ourselves today is, am I in that place that I can say, God said it and that's enough? Are you searching the scripture when you have a question? 
1 Peter 1.25 tells us that the word of the Lord remains forever. Are you willing? This is a big question here. Are you willing to trust God even when it makes you uncomfortable? There are some things in God's word that I wish it said it differently. There are some things in the Bible where I wish, man, I don't know, God, if I was you. See, that's the problem. When we twist it to say what we wanted to say, then I'm God, not him. Do we have the faith to say that God's way are higher than my ways? Are we looking at life with the big picture in mind? Every head's bowed and eyes closed this morning as the band comes. Are you willing to say God said it? And that's enough. Are you willing to check those things that you've always heard, those things that you've always believed, but you've never looked into it on your own? Are you willing to test those beliefs? That's a scary thing to say, God, I I don't know about this whole thing, but the church and the, and the, the Bible and about Christianity, I just want clarity. Are we willing to search the scripture? It might take a little time, but it will deepen your faith. With every head's bowed and eyes closed this morning, altars open if you want to come and you feel God uh, moving in that direction, whether it's uh, about something we talked about today or maybe you just have a loved one that's sick or some financial need you need to take to God. Let's all ask ourselves this question. Am I willing to say, God said it, and that's enough. Let's all take these thoughts right now to prayer.